nearly two months after the end of Oklahoma's 2019 college football season, I'm pretty comfortable admitting that the last month and change of that season pretty much broke me. Epic comebacks, boneheaded turnovers, close calls that shouldn't have been, plus injuries and suspensions to key players all preceded that disastrous Peach Bowl and what I am now definitively calling the worst Oklahoma football game since the John Blake era. Now, candidly speaking, my attitude was crap after that game, and that's one of the main reasons we haven't had a podcast until now. For a month, the only thought I could muster about OU football in the aftermath of that game was that all of this was for nothing. What good is a new defensive coordinator if you're just going to have the worst defensive performance in school history in the exact type of game he was originally hired to help win? What good are top 10 recruiting classes when your top 10 recruited guys look like a freaking JV team against their top 10 recruited guys? Now, fortunately, I have started to step back from the ledge a bit. One of those questions that I asked, the first one, is unfair. Grinch did a great job with this defense in year one. I know Lee has some issues with his game plan going into the Peach Bowl, but I think that's a product of injuries and being in year one of the scheme. And Grinch has already hinted that he will be adding more complex things scheme-wise in the offseason as they begin year two under new leadership. The second question about recruiting is 100% fair. And I think this is going to be the theme going forward for OU. LSU's players are better than Oklahoma's players, flat out. Clemson's players are flat out better than Oklahoma's players. Ohio State's players are flat out better than Oklahoma's players. And I'm not even mentioning some other schools that I'm sure everyone else has in mind as well. And all of this is despite Oklahoma theoretically recruiting in the same ballpark as these guys in the recruiting rankings. You look at 24-7, rivals, all of them. OU is theoretically recruiting right along with these guys. And rankings are rankings, I suppose, but my eyes do not lie to me. These teams are recruiting a completely different athlete than Oklahoma is on the defensive side of the ball. And it's not particularly close if we are being completely honest with each other. Now, I think this puts quite a bit of earned importance on the 2020 NFL draft from Oklahoma's perspective. Simply put, OU really needs Kenneth Murray and Neville Gallimore to be first-round picks. OU's coaching staff needs the win. They need the talking point. In 2020, kids mostly care about how the program they choose can put them in the best position for future success in the pros. Now, OU can boast a ton of offensive guys in the last decade that are pro bowlers and all pros, but when your best defensive alumni in the league is Tony Jefferson and he wasn't even drafted, there's a pretty big problem present there. Now, with this in mind, Lee and I are going to try and wade into recruiting a bit today. I saw the 2019 Peach Bowl, and you cannot convince me that recruiting is not the single most important thing in all of college football right now. Thus, we will begin to treat it as such. Heck, I believe it is the singular thing that is keeping Oklahoma from national championship number eight. Let's try to figure this thing out. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. No intro today as we're back at the mics for the first time in more than a month. I am Lee Benson. You heard Grant a moment ago with the opening take. I'll bring him back here in a second. First, I'd like to give you a roadmap for the show today. Since we last talked, the Sooners lost a couple of assistant coaches and found their replacements. Grant and I will go over our thoughts on DeMarco Murray and Jamar Kane. 
Colorado was reportedly going after Alex Grinch in the last few days, but the Buffaloes ended up hiring a different guy instead. So the Sooners coaching staff looks set for 2020. The second National Signing Day came and went at the beginning of this month. Oklahoma added a couple of four-star defensive players to its 2020 class. We always like to say that this isn't the podcast for in-depth recruiting talk. However, I have watched some film on Joshua Eaton and Reggie Grimes, and I'll provide some thoughts on that duo. Grant also will. We're about six and a half months away from kicking off the 2020 season, and today we'll go over our biggest concerns what we're least concerned about and we'll also answer the question if these things happen oklahoma will win the big 12 yet again plus we've got some listener questions and topics from facebook further you never know what subjects grant might throw our way in the middle of the show so we might have a lot of stuff to talk about today so at this time might as well bring back grant are you refreshed and ready for our first show since the middle of january yeah, I am. For a while there, I was pretty happy that the college football season was over, but now I can't freaking stand it anymore. I'm ready to play some football again. This XFL nonsense, it just does not move the needle for me whatsoever. One of our viewers, or I'm sorry, viewers, our listeners, I was wondering our thoughts on the XFL, which we'll touch on uh, later in the show when we do listener questions for oh, nice. Facebook. Nice. It's not, not that I don't want to talk about the XFL, because I have thoughts for sure. Uh, yeah, I have a little bit of thoughts too. Uh, I'm kind of, I'm kind of probably more along your lines as opposed to like, oh, I love this thing. Uh, but uh, quite frankly, I just haven't. Yeah, I mean, I love football, but I haven't really found any reasons to watch, with the exception of a couple of games here and there that potentially you could have action on that makes it interesting. And that's they're embracing the betting and stuff like that. So we'll see if that helps. But I know the TV ratings have not uh, gone up since week one. But we'll talk more about that later. Uh, so here we go. We got some spring practice information for you all in case you all haven't heard yet. Actually, it begins two weeks from when we're recording this show, which we're recording this on Tuesday, February 25th. That means spring ball for Oklahoma first practice Tuesday, March the 10th. One day later on the 11th will be Oklahoma's pro day. Then you got spring break, which is March 16th through the 20th at OU. Then the guys will come back after spring break finish up spring practice and the spring game is on saturday april the 18th uh, before we move on to the meat of the show do you have any thoughts grant on the beginning of spring ball or anything like that i don't know why you would or what i mean uh we don't know if it's going to be a night game like it was last season yet for the spring game it might be lincoln riley left that open uh, a couple weeks ago when we talked to him so maybe we'll get another night game but uh, it is a saturday game again on the 18th uh, i kind of hope it's another night game to be honest with you yeah, yeah, and I think that was the main takeaway from last year's bit, right? And I know they had to they had to scramble there at the end because they ended up having to do a Friday night game because of the weather, right? Yeah, that's um, why they moved it tonight because the weather was going to be terrible on Saturday. And the reason why they want to have it on Saturday and not Friday is because it's a lot easier to get recruits in on Saturdays as opposed to last second on a Friday because of school and things like that. So, you know, maybe they'll kind of split the baby this year. They'll go Saturday spring game if the weather permits, and maybe they'll go night kickoff for the atmosphere. We'll see, though. That's to be determined. I thought yeah, my main takeaway from the spring game just as an event last year was that the night time worked exceptionally well, and it made the game feel much bigger than it actually was. Um, I, I mean, if, if they really do want to make this a big recruiting weekend, I think they're they're almost obliged to 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 have the game at night. They have to. It just, it makes I bet the they game want to yeah yeah it makes the game feel a lot bigger. I bet they want to have it at night. It's just you know weather factors in. You know, in, in April you can get a beautiful day in Oklahoma. You could get kind of a 
a crappy day where it's windy and, and maybe wet and cold. And, and obviously that's why they moved the game from Saturday to Friday last year. Uh, that Friday night game, the weather was great. Uh, it was beautiful outside. So, uh, yeah, I that, just wanted to throw those dates out there in case you're listening to this podcast. You haven't been up to date. You don't know when Oklahoma's starting spring practice. Well, now you do. First practice, Tuesday, March the 10th. All right, let's begin this podcast with the new assistant coaches. Lincoln Riley introduced DeMarco Murray and Jamar Kane a couple of weeks ago, and those guys are replacing Ruffin McNeil and Jay Bulware. And I don't know if, Grant, you want to say anything about those two guys first, or, you know, we don't have to, but uh, it's, you know, we haven't had a podcast since those guys departed. I don't know if you have any departing thoughts of Jay Bulware and Ruffin McNeil. Well, sure. I mean, Ruffin McNeil, I mean, everybody knows what his role was on this staff. Um, he brought he, he was brought in as a mentor for Lincoln Riley um, when he was a young pup, a brand new head coach. And I think uh, he's he's probably ran his course here. And I think his his biggest, uh, you know, his biggest uh, imprint on the program is going to be him taking over as as uh, as the interim D.C. in 2018. And then honestly, coming up with a really good game plan in the Big 12 championship game against Texas. I think that is going to end up being his legacy at OU. And there's nothing wrong with that. But from kind of from a practical matter, I think, uh, you know, he was having some trouble with his health, and I know he really wasn't out on the recruiting trail. And um, as I said in my opening take, in 2020, you cannot afford to have a coach not out on the recruiting trail. Just can't have it. And so this yeah. was this was something that needed to happen. Yeah, good job by you bringing up that Texas game, because I hadn't really given that much thought. But you're right. That was definitely the highlight of Ruffin McNeil's tenure at Oklahoma. That was definitely the best a defensive game Oklahoma played that year with him as the DC given the competition I know early on when they played TCU and K-State when he first took over they played pretty well defensively but those offenses were were not very good compared to that Texas offense and and Oklahoma obviously avenged that loss earlier in the year and so yeah that's you know good job pointing that out uh, I do have it on good authority that you know it was difficult for McNeil to kind of get around practice at times and you know I Although he was incredibly kind, uh, you know, I'm sure the players all love the guy. Uh, you know, when it came to football, I think Ruffin McNeil at this point of his career was kind of holding Oklahoma back. And a lot of that's recruiting and even coaching. It sounded like maybe he was having a tough time being at practice sometimes here and there. Uh, you know, ironically, you know, it was announced that he was stepping away from football to help out with his ailing father. So, you know, obviously that goes well we hope that goes well and you know McNeil said in a press release that this isn't the end for him he wants to keep coaching he's not retiring you know we'll see if he shows up coaching somewhere down the road you know I'd guess that he's got to get his health kind of under control if he's going to be able to coach again it sounds harsh but uh, like you kind of I think you said it a little bit I mean it, it's for the best that that Ruffin's out of the picture right now and I guess a lot of you listening to this podcast would would agree with that sentiment. So the writing was on the wall. This is I this I don't think this is a surprise to anybody who follows the day to day operations of the program. And this is this is okay. This is good. As far as Jay Bohr goes, I think Texas just it made him a better offer, you know, than Oklahoma did. And you know, in this business, money talks. And I was talking to Dusty Dvorak about this weeks ago when it happened, and Dusty was thinking that you know Texas is going to want to mine bullware for information about Lincoln Riley's offense and you know trying to get an edge things like that and I mean Dusty's probably exactly correct on that you know you got Tom Herman you got the Texas staff of course they're going to do that and you kind of expect Lincoln Riley to change up 
maybe some hand signals and some calls during the offseason to make it a little more difficult on Jay Bulware. Uh, so that's, I think, the business side of it. As for the person, as for the coach, a few times Bulware talked to the media when I was, you know, when I've been covering the team, and he's always great. I, I got got to say, I mean, he always had really good stores. He was always open about his running backs, and he genuinely seemed to enjoy all of his moments with the media. Seemed like a pretty good dude. So, you know, as for, you know, whether or not this is a big hit for Oklahoma's coaching staff, I tend to think that it's not really that big of a deal, you know, because outside of Joe Mixon, Oklahoma hasn't brought in many blue chippers at running back since Bulwer was on staff. And Grant, you can correct me if I'm wrong about that, because I believe he came back on he came in staff on the, uh, in 2013 around there. I mean, is Joe Mixon the the only kind of real blue chip running back they brought on? Jay Bowler came in at the same time as uh, as Bill Bedenboe and Dennis Simmons, that 2013 staff. Um, at least I think so. I mean, that's geez, that's seven years it was ago 20, now. Yeah, it was 2013. Yeah. My gosh. Um, hey, I'm actually going to go ahead and push back on you for a bit. I, I I do not think this is a a situation where Texas ponied up the money to to uh, to grab them. That's not what happened here at all. Um, and and you know, I don't I don't have any sources here. This is not me going off but but I think this is a pretty clear indication that this is a I I think this is a it's probably better if you find another job situation um because you're saying that you know Texas came in and offered him a bunch of money but the implication there is that Oklahoma didn't you know didn't match it or didn't come with a counter offer um and I think that I think that's writing on the wall right there if they really really valued Jay Bulware they would have paid him the money to keep him to keep him from their most bitter rival come on of course they would have um, and then I think, I, I, I think this is, this is purely a recruiting play. Um, like you said, since Joe Mixon, they have missed out, I think on their top target in the running back class, every single class since then. Um, and then I don't think you go and you get DeMarco Murray unless you're, unless you're, uh, unless your objective is to have just instant credibility with every single Texas running back. Because when you when when you know the former All Pro running back of the Dallas Cowboys walks into your room, uh, instant credibility. I, I think that that's the obvious logic. I think on the wall here. And yeah, that's as we're going to move into talking about Murray and then Jamar Kane. Might as well start with Demarco Murray. That I'm with you. I mean, that's you know that's the reason you bring Demarco Murray in. You know, I I don't know if he would have been able to entice four and five star type running backs to Arizona where he was this past year which you know maybe if he thought hey I want to be with Kevin Sumlin for a couple years you know maybe with time he would have I don't know but at Oklahoma like you were saying Riley's certainly banking on his ability to entice elite running backs to come play in this offense and he basically saying hey DeMarco go out there and find blue chip players like you were man go do it yeah, I mean that's I I think that's the idea right now, and that's not to say they don't have like talented good running backs on campus right now. That's not the case, um, but they they don't have Joe Mixon and Rodney Anderson types on campus right now. Who every time they touch the ball, the other team is holding their breath because they could score. I, I just I don't outside of Ramondre Stevenson, I don't think OU's got a guy like that right now. And Ramondre Stevenson's only going to play in seven games next year. So okay, that's we don't know about that. We I mean, but be like official. It's not it's things. not official, but yeah, I don't I don't have to play with the official rules like you do. Guy Ramondre Stevens is going to miss the next five games next year. Like Lee Lee can't confirm it, but it's gonna happen. If precedent is is a thing, it's gonna happen. Hmm. Oh, okay. It's just annoying to me that that keeps getting run because it's like I just it's it's point because like what if something crazy happens and they don't miss the next five games? It's like, oh, okay, like 
if what was all that talk then? If they don't That's miss, so, so annoying about if they don't miss the first five games, it is because that they they were granted an appeal and that they won the appeal. And from what I understand, when you're appealing to the NCAA for for drug tests that are very easy to prove on their part, I mean they're they're going to have it all on paper. I, I just I don't think precedent suggests that they are going to win any sort of appeal. And if you are busted by the NCAA for smoking weed, the punishment is a six-game suspension. They've already missed one game, and that's, I mean, that's about it. Okay. Anything else on DeMarco Murray? I got some stuff on how he fared at Arizona last year. I'm not sure if, how much that matters. Yeah. So, I, but, I, uh, so yeah. My, my thoughts on the, on the coaching changes are, gonna, are pretty much going to be similar for both. I, this is a play at recruiting. Um, and I think that needs I, that that should have been, and I think that is Lincoln Riley's main concern here with with both of these hires. Um, and that's not to say that development is also not important. Um, but in terms of development, I, I don't know. Especially with Demarco Murray, we'll see. He's a young coach; he's only been doing it for a year, so who who knows if if, if he's a good developer of talent? Um, but I kind of feel like though with running back, that's I feel like that's that's the position you need the least amount of development on. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I was reading some articles from kind of the fall, you know, last fall around Arizona, and there's, you know, not surprisingly, a lot of the players were saying positive things about what DeMarco Murray was bringing to the table, about how he was helping with uh, their vision and kind of reading the defense as a running back, things like that, which, okay, good. I mean, of course, DeMarco Murray knows a lot about that. Uh, he was an incredibly successful running back at Oklahoma and then he was had some really good years in the NFL where he was I think what he lead the league in rushing I know at least one year maybe even twice in, in Dallas I can't remember well he was and the he, um he was the offensive player of the year that one year he led the league in rushing it so. shows you like how like stats in the in the NFL and football just aren't the same as like other sports because I, I couldn't tell you how many yards he ran for, how many touchdowns he had. I just know he, he was really good. And I, he was on my fancy team probably for two or three of those years. I still couldn't even tell you his I think numbers. Ran, I just thought I, he was great. I think he ran for like 1,700 yards and like 15 touchdowns or something like that. That's a great season. Yeah. So, I mean, looking at Arizona last year, the running back room there was actually pretty deep. You know, they had five different players get 30 or more carries at running back. And you compare that to Oklahoma – uh, they only had three players get at least 30 carries, and one of those guys was Trey Sermon, and we know what happened to him. He was lost for half of the year. So essentially for the last six whatever games, whenever Trey Sermon went down, I mean, they had two guys. You know, and we all know that. They had Kennedy Brooks and Ramondre Stevenson. So I mean, Hertz was was their number one running back. But he, he I know was, what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Col- I mean, look at Arizona, and they had Khalil Tate, who – was also like a running back type player and they still had five running backs that had 30 or more carries so it's not like Arizona had a you know a, a statue type quarterback and even the other guy that came in for Khalil Tate like Grinnell I think he you know he he ran the ball a decent amount too so uh, you know basically we all know this I mean Oklahoma needs to get healthy they need to get some more depth at the running back room uh, and I think it's reasonable to expect that DeMarco Murray has a positive effect on Oklahoma's running backs in Lincoln Riley's offense, you know, why wouldn't he? <laughs> so, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't think this is going to be a problem at all. If this, if this gets them in the room and gives them credibility with the top running back recruit in the country, then this is a successful hire. And as far as Jamar Kane goes, I don't know if you have anything else on DeMarco. I know just real quick, uh, Kevin Sumlin asked him that, you know, he wanted, he wanted DeMarco Murray to be the main guy, the main recruiter in Vegas, where obviously DeMarco's from. And also in Dallas. 
and I'm sure it was you know not just Dallas, probably you know more around Texas, but uh, I'm sure that's what uh, he'll be asked to do at Oklahoma as well, and probably some more places. Obviously, given that it's Demarco Murray, and most high school players will know who that is. Yeah, and I I do want to um I do want to say this just one last thing about Demarco Murray. Um, in the in the Stoops era, Demarco Murray is my favorite OU running back. I love Demarco Murray. I loved watching that guy play. Um, and his his touchdown celebration, the dynasty thing where he did the diamond at the chest and then pull it down. I miss that so much. I hope he teaches that to the other running backs. I just I want to see it. I love it. <laughs> it I loved it. I I just loved it. It's a great. I love little small celebrations like that that have a theme and that are consistent. And he did that pretty much his entire career at OU, and I loved it. I thought it was great. I will say that um, I forgot to mention this before. At the press conference where they introduced Murray and Jamar Kane, um, I guess whenever DeMarco Murray saw that the position was open, he sent Kale Gundy a text message with the Lincoln Riley eyeball emoji thing that he always uses in social media. And Lincoln told that story during the uh, – during the press conference. So in case you hadn't heard that yet, it was uh, so DeMarco Murray, like wanted the job immediately when he saw it was open. Sure. And, sounds um, like it. Jeez. Yeah, man. I, I got to say too, I forgot to mention this, whenever Boyer was out, one of the first names that everyone kind of floated around on the internet and social media was DeMarco Murray. And didn't that kind of seem to you kind of like a hacky take? Like, Oh, like it really did. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, Cause he was, he's DeMarco Murray. So let's, just have him coach Oklahoma running backs. Does that make sense? He's a great player at OU, and he had a great NFL career, so why not have him coach running backs? And then it turns out that Lincoln Riley really wanted him too. <laughs> so, like, all right. I mean. I'll be honest. I didn't even know that he was coaching. I thought he was still a color guy. And no, he, uh, yeah, he did that for like a year maybe, and he was thinking about doing the broadcasting career you know, until he was in his mid-30s to and then going to coaching, he always wanted to get into coaching, according to him. But apparently, Kevin Sumlin reached out, and obviously, Kevin Sumlin coached him while he was at Oklahoma. And he said, if it wasn't Kevin Sumlin, and you know, he probably wouldn't have said yes. But he said, okay, yeah, I, I know you. You know, I, I'll help you out. And then, very similar to this, you know, if it wasn't Oklahoma calling, he probably'd still be at Arizona with Kevin Sumlin. It's just that's just the way it is and uh, you know, I remember Kale Gundy who's still there on staff I think Kale Gundy recruited DeMarco Murray God, I remember so. I just so I if if anyone who's new to the podcast listening to this I, I went to OU for one year it was uh the, the 2008-2009 school year and I used to see DeMarco walking around campus all the time and I remember thinking kind of like whenever I saw him in person thinking to myself gosh man that's like what a pro athlete looks like he just like he just looked different. He looked different than the other football players, and there there was just something about him, an aura of of like invincibility. And I don't know. I I always just thought Demarco Murray was just one of the coolest SOBs around. And he still and, has that. He yeah. still kind of has that aura yeah. around him. I mean, he just he. I guess when he's at Arizona and the assistant coaches would talk to the media, he would easily had the most media people around him. It's going to probably be similar. I know. Uh, I didn't get a chance to go to that press conference because I had to be back at the station whenever they introduced him, but it was really difficult to get in there to talk to Murray because all the media surrounding him. And he just he comes off. He's so confident. Uh, seems like a really nice guy. And uh, so, yeah, he definitely does have that. Uh, like, he looks like he can still play. I mean, granted, he's a running back. So, I mean, the, the shelf life for those guys are, are not great. But um, he's in good shape. 
he's uh yeah like what you put it he's kind of got an aura around him and uh and maybe that and maybe that translates into recruiting maybe maybe high school kids see you know see him and are like holy crap that's demarco murray and he just has a presence about him and man i sure would love to go and and play you know play for him that's the hope at least and he loves OU. He said that he feels like OU is home, so he'll be able to sell yeah. OU incredibly well. He spent five so. years there. I mean, he's like he—he's a running back, and he actually decided to stay that extra fifth year. So, yeah. And then when you go to Jamar Kane, uh, same. And this is another hire based mostly on recruiting. And Lincoln Riley acknowledged that uh, you know his reputation, Kane's reputation, is for uh, for being a pretty good recruiter, and that was in the initial press release and. Uh, Kane, he'll work with the outside linebackers and the defensive ends at Oklahoma. Uh, before Oklahoma, he was at Arizona State where he coached the D-line just for a year uh, with Herm Edwards, of course. And then before that, he was at Fresno State, also coaching the D-line. And then from 2014 to 2016, he was at North Dakota State at NDSU coaching the defensive ends. And you're probably the same as me in this grant. I love that NDSU is on Kane's resume. You know, it's just it's a dominant program. It's got a winning culture. Doesn't seem like he has much experience coaching linebackers, uh, but that's not going to be too big of a deal. I mean, you look at the rush linebacker in this defense, basically a hybrid defensive end linebacker type position. So I, you know, the transition don't expect it to be difficult for him. Plus, as an assistant coach in football, you got to be able to coach so many different positions and, and things like that, even on both sides of the football. Uh, yeah. Remember last year during the season, Arizona State. I, I think it was early on in the year when they beat Michigan State, and you know Michigan State's offense is terrible, and they ended up being a bad team. And you know we thought, oh, Arizona State's defense is really good. It turned out Arizona State's defense wasn't all that great. It was kind of middle of the pack, very similar to Oklahoma's actually when it gives the yards per play. You, I mean, Arizona State allowed five point five yards per play. Oklahoma gave up five point six yards per play. Uh, so I don't know if. The year at Arizona State, I don't know how much that helps and things like that, how much that will affect Oklahoma. But I, I like this hire. I you know, don't know much about him, just have read a little bit about him in the last few weeks. But sounds like a positive hire for, I like the, for Oklahoma. I like the credentials, for sure. Um, coached at North Dakota State, which means he coached under Chris Kleiman, which I like a lot. Um, at Fresno State, he, he was coaching. Those, are, those were good defenses at Fresno State um that he coached and then you know a year under the tutelage of Herm Edwards is not you know that's not insignificant so when you look at Jamar Kane you, you like his credentials a lot for sure um and his credentials suggest that he has earned this opportunity and I think he even said that a lot uh in his his introductory press conference that he felt like he has earned this opportunity so um yeah I, if, if if he's being if he's being uh, hired for his recruiting prowess then um I, I suppose I will defer to Lincoln Riley. I'm not going to be able to come up with any sort of educated, you know, criticism of that until we until he's got some results to to analyze. So and he's yeah he's he mentioned at his introductory press conference he's really excited about what Alex Grinch is doing. He knows he knows about Alex Grinch. The interesting thing, nobody on this staff really had any relationship with Jamar Kane before this. I mean, it was just Lincoln Riley. The name came to him, and and just that's how good of. Uh, credentials he has and his reputation so uh, I guess credit to Jamar Kane for having that within the coaching ranks it is a, it's a very small world you know and uh, even though there's a lot of college football teams man a lot of coaches know each other and so his name must have been thrown around quite a bit and very similar to Alex Grinch when he came into Oklahoma Jamar Kane mentioned yeah you know when Oklahoma calls you you can't say no to that you don't say no so he's excited and I, you know 
you look back at Arizona State, their sack leader and their TFL leader from last season, he was a defensive lineman. Uh, don't know how much we can really take from his one year in Tempe, but you know, again, to reiterate, this looks like a positive hire on the Could surface. be a totally different scheme, too. I, 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 we probably can't take much from that. Like from probably. Arizona State stats, I, I don't think we can. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll see. It, this seems like a... Um, I, I thought if, if you really, really tried, there were ways that you could definitely nitpick you know, the hires last season with, with Odom and, and Roy Manning as well. And I think after one year you know, of, uh, of, uh, of results there, I think both those hires look pretty darn good, don't they? So yeah, pretty positive. Pretty like, positive. for instance, both, you know, yeah. if you remember, Roy Manning was a linebacker coach by trade, and it's very arguable that the corners were the most improved unit on the entire, you know, the entire team this season. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't, because I, I know you mentioned that he, he doesn't really have experience coaching outside linebackers. I don't, I don't think that matters at all. Um, so, well, we'll it's see. Interesting I don't know. Because I, I, initially, like initially when they hired him, he was just going to be the outside linebackers coach, which essentially is you're replacing Ruffin McNeil. But then at the introductory press conference, Lincoln Riley was like, hey, listen, I just want to clarify, he's also going to coach defensive ends. So that's pass something rushers. that he has he's, coached. Yeah. He's coaching the pass rushers. I mean, that that looks to be kind of what it is. So, And also, though, in, you know, in Alex Grinch's defense, there's not really your traditional like 4-3 defensive end. You know that it's going to be your hand in the dirt and is just trying to get around the offensive tackle. That doesn't, you know, that that position doesn't really exist in Grinch's defense. That you know that that's the Jack linebacker that does that. So, um, I don't know, man. If Jamar Kane can bring in some freaky, like some freakishly athletic pass rushers, then that hire will be successful. Well, speaking of bringing in freakishly athletic pass rushers and just recruiting in general, let's switch over to the fact that Oklahoma's 2020 class. Uh, extended by two players since our last podcast uh, you know earlier this month uh, what was the original national signing day, and I was like the second national signing day Joshua Eaton and Reggie Grimes became official they officially signed at Oklahoma and like I said at the beginning of the show this isn't a podcast where we talk about recruiting a lot I know some of you listeners have asked us to do more recruiting stuff we'll do it here and there where you know when it makes sense and in one of those days is today I, since it's only two players and it's late February I decided hey you know what I'm gonna go to the huddle page and the and these rivals and 247 and I'm gonna do a little research I'm gonna watch some film on Josh Wheaton and I'm gonna watch some film on Reggie Grinds because you know what I got a podcast to do here and I gotta give you guys some content and some of you want to hear about recruiting and maybe you want to hear what Grant and I have to say about these high school kids you know not experts on high school football players I'd like to think that if I put a little more time into it I could figure it out because I mean it's it's football. It's not that difficult. And it is high school after all. But uh, what we'll do here now is I'll go over kind of my thoughts on both of these guys. And I know, Grant, you've watched more tape. I mean, I actually have a lot of stuff to say about Eaton because I feel a lot more confident and comfortable talking about defensive backs compared to defensive linemen, which is what Reggie Grimes plays. So I think I have some, you know, I have a lot of thoughts on Eaton, a little bit more, you know, not as much on Grimes, but uh, we'll go from there. And I, you know, would you prefer me getting the ball rolling, or do you want to jump in with your thoughts on either one of these guys? I want you to get the ball rolling. My thoughts are going to be more philosophical. Um, I will come out and say uh, from the onset, the one thing I like about both of these guys is their size. Okay. And then I'll let you kind of take it from there. So let's start with a guy that I feel like I have a little bit more of a better feel of, and that's Josh Wheaton. So he's a corner. 
uh, right off the bat, you look at him and you think, okay, this is exactly what Alex Grinch wants. This is exactly what we want as people that pay attention to Oklahoma football. Long, rangy corners. He's 6'2", 185, according to rivals. I know 247 lists him at 175. So, you know, his, his weight's somewhere between there. I'm sure 175, 185. And, you know, obviously it's nicer if he's a little heavier, but uh, we'll see how he can move around. Uh, rivals has him as a four-star player. 247, though, has him as a three-star for the record. And... Here's what I've done. I've watched his huddle tape from his junior season, so that's a 2018 season. And I'll be honest, to me, he looks more of like a three-star type player, and I think that his height and his length is what's kind of boosting him up to that four-star player on rivals. Start with this technique. I think it needs work. You know, we'll see if Roy Manning works with his stance a little bit. I think he's a little too far bent over at the waist. I think that prevents him from being as balanced as he could be. I didn't see him impress a whole lot on huddle. I saw him play a lot of zone. So it kind of makes me wonder, you know, what his his abilities are of playing man. Is he a physical player or is he not? I don't know. Uh, it's difficult to tell what kind of speed he has from the tape. Uh, definitely a, a long strider, which is not surprising considering his height. He did have a pick six on his huddle tape where he you know, got the sideline pretty good. Uh, saw him make some tackles, but you know nothing too particularly flashy when he was coming up and making making tackles and, and making hits. Uh, I read an article that said he impressed at the opening uh, last summer before his senior season. So I found a YouTube video that had a lot of one-on-one corner versus wide receiver matchups. Eaton was featured four different times in the video. He made one really great play. He made one pretty good play, and two of his uh, two of his other reps were pretty forgettable nothing special and so if you want me to go even more in depth I'll go over his best play the of the entire video he was impressed technique so that kind of answers a little bit of the question about what I was talking about earlier is like does he does he play press can he play it uh the wide receiver runs a a deep fade route and on the play Eaton stays with them throughout the entire route he reads the wide receiver's eyes turns his head at the right time gets a PBU it's great coverage great job exactly what you want to see out of your corner his next best play, he was also impressed technique. The wide receiver ran a comeback route. He stays with the receiver all the way. He does give up a completion, but it was a pretty good throw. He threw it away from where Eaton was. So, I mean, it it was a pretty good play. I think that was his second best. But the other two kind of showed off his, his technique. Uh, he was given some big-time cushion in one of them, eight yards of cushion. There was a curl route ran, and Eaton, he, he rounded out his break. So his cut wasn't very good, so he needs better technique there. And granted, these are just couple reps in a in a camp but that's all you have to go for and and it's worth talking about here and the last thing I'll say is press technique you saw the wide receiver immediately step inside and the balance came in he's bent over he slipped a bit Uh, then he kind of starts grabbing and tugging the wide receiver and he still gives up a completion and that just goes it goes to his technique and so I saw a mixed bag on the opening he played for a big school in Houston, so he comes from the biggest class, 6A, Texas high school football, uh, Houston MacArthur. His senior year, they went 5-6, and six, which was actually the best season the school's had in years. And I was looking back, doing some research, the last time that MacArthur finished the year with a winning record was all the way back in 2005. Does it matter that Eaton is coming from a mostly losing program? You know, maybe three, four years ago, I'd say that that doesn't matter to me. But the more that I talk to coaches in all of sports, coaches really do like getting players from winning programs because the kids already have that winning attitude. That They come from that winning culture. And 
I think it's kind of weird, but sometimes learning how to win is actually a thing. Did you want to jump in, Grant? Uh, no, I mean, I was going to say, I don't, I mean, unless you're a quarterback, I don't think it matters at all, but okay, but you, but you can go ahead. Well, the last thing I have on Eaton is that, uh, like we've said a couple times, he's big, he's long. That's Oklahoma needs at corner. He's a player that, that Roy Manning recruited, Alex Grinch recruited. So, you know, who knows how much impact, uh, you know, who much, let me start over. Who knows how much impact he had on his team as a senior? You know, maybe, maybe Eaton was a huge reason why they were able to win those five games as opposed to just you know a one or two win season. So potentially, maybe he was the difference in you know turning them into close to a five hundred team. I don't know. Uh, he had offers from a lot of other elite college programs, so people wanted him. Uh, so I think he does have. Not surprisingly, he's got the potential to be good. So that's what I've seen. That's my super in depth huddle and opening breakdown of Joshua Eaton. What do you think, Grant? I mean, he's a project. That's what he is. Yeah, I think he's a project. And so, um, and and I, I want to go, you know, further into this because I think this this almost illustrates the divide right now between OU and these other teams as well. Josh Eaton is a you know is a consensus four star guy. I think he's a top two hundred and fifty guy in twenty four seven. But like I said, he's a project. And um, you know, Alabama and LSU and Ohio State aren't getting a lot of projects. They're just not. They're getting guys who are ready to come in and play. And um, well, Alabama wanted them, but I think the point you're trying to make, though, is that these project guys that these players, these programs might get, they're probably not playing, or they're and 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 or OU transitioned out of the program. Exactly, and OU does not. I mean, I'm sorry, but in the last five, six years, hell, this last decade, OU does not have a good track record of developing these guys. And I know, I know, Roy Manning is in there now, and it's a different, it's a different staff, but I'm shell shocked a little bit. This is. You know, and if you followed recruiting at all, this was a guy who was who was maybe OU's third choice at this spot. You know, they had Dante Manning and they had they had Ryan Watts, uh, guys who are um, who are higher ranked, guys who are who are very similar in size, committed previously in the class, and those guys decommitted. And so I think if you look at the writing on the wall, Josh Eaton is a guy who, if they had their choice of the top guys, wouldn't be part of this class. And there's too much of that going on. I think in in recruiting circles right now for OU. And I'm not like I'm not I'm not here to say like what are you doing taking Josh Eaton that's stupid. I'm saying that the fact that those other two guys that they rather would have had and didn't get, that's the problem. That's that's yeah. where they need to that's where they need to get better. And so that doesn't mean that hell, Josh Eaton maybe comes in and the light comes on instantly. He takes to the the strength and conditioning program really well. And they develop him really well, and he's he's an NFL draft pick. Who knows? That could happen. I'm you know, I, I'm not saying that that's that's impossible, but if we're going off a track record and types of guys like this that OU has gotten in the last decade, it's very likely this guy's going to wash out and he's going to transfer away from OU. The one positive though, when you just think of these recruits, and yeah, you're right. I mean, there's there's a lot of red flags, and it has not been good. But at least now you get the, a new class, the 2020 class. A guy like Eaton, he's coming in with this new coaching staff. Uh, you look back at last year, it was very early on, Alex Gringe and Roy Manning, things like that. You got a guy like Jaden Davis who ended up flashing and playing really well in his first kind of time on campus, you know, and we'll talk about him in a little bit because I got some thoughts on him, but in a different segment we're going to have. But now with a year under their belts, this coaching staff, and I know there's going to be some new guys now with uh, Jamar Kane coming aboard, but uh, you know, potentially, you know, at least there's a little bit of, I think, optimism because we knew that the previous 
assistant coaches, the previous staff, they were not developing players the way they should have been. So at least it's different now. It's kind of the same. It's very similar to, you know, when Bob Stoops retired, it was always kind of the same. We don't know if Lincoln Riley is going to be good, but at least it's different. And different is sometimes all I need because the, the status quo, if it's not working or you're not getting to the level that you think you need to, Sometimes it's good to be different, and it could backfire because we've seen it backfire probably a lot in college football. But so far with Lincoln Riley, I mean, he his offense has been great, and Oklahoma's been good, but they still have not been able to get to that next level, though. So uh, at least the coaching staff is different when it comes to Eaton coming in and, and having a project-type player. What about Reggie Grimes? See, uh, big dude, 6'5". You mentioned at the very beginning of this that you like these guys' size. Grant, 6'5", 240. That's a big dude. He's a consensus four-star player. I saw that Rivals had him about a year ago as a five-star uh, defensive end player. So what are your thoughts on on Reggie Grimes? I don't think his tape's very good. It's, hmm. I mean, for a, for a guy who is um, as highly, you know, coveted and regarded, that doesn't look great. And the fact that he was a five-star and then has, and then in a lot of recruiting services, the fact that he's fallen kind of into the 100s, I think is a huge red flag. And the fact that there's other teams, other big programs that had kind of backed off his recruitment. So to me, this looks like another situation where this is just kind of a guy, like a guy that after after all of the other big time NFL, you know, pro, NFL, or programs that have a lot of, you know, NFL defensive guys, after they did their vetting, it kind of feels like that they moved on from this guy and then OU is just there to pick up the scraps. Because I'm mm. sorry, like I, and he, here, here's what I will say about his tape. He looks way bigger than everybody there. When he's running full speed, you can see a lot of athleticism there and a lot of length, and you can see what can be molded there. But you can't tell me after after watching this guy that he's 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 anything more than a project. Still, this guy's not ready to play right away. And if anything, I I think I think that the chances that he turns into like a three tech defensive tackle uh, are he's got to be he he's going to be an interior defensive lineman. This guy's not going to play on the edge. So well, you mentioned um, he looks really big out there, yeah. And I watched his huddle tape. And I think I agree. He does look very big out there. And that is a good sign because he played at the highest level of Tennessee high school football. So it's not like he's playing three a, uh, but also a little midgets. I mean, he's playing at least the highest. So at least that's something that that's something. But also when you turn on his tape, he's not physically dominating anybody. And that's a I think problem. He's showing some power. I think he's showing ah. to have some good power up there. I saw him bull rushing some guys, knocking some guys on off their feet onto their butts. Uh, but he does seem to me to be a little stiff in the hips. He looks stiff. He just looks like it. He looks like he looks like a really big guy, a big athlete trying to figure out how to play football. He did play a little running back as well, though. Uh, so he knows how to run the ball. So he's got to have a little bit of athleticism to play running back, and probably ran over some people considering. Oh, his, I know his size. I'm, I'm 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 saying that you know the chances, the fact that you know it was probably his athleticism that led to the to the fifth star eventually. I'm sure somebody just started salivating about his measurables, but then you know once he's vetted and they start looking at tape and like I mean you can just you can watch his film for two minutes and he just doesn't look like a special football player. That does not mean he won't turn into one, but um, See, I, I think I mean not very knowledgeable about what good high school defensive ends look like. So true, and, and I don't and I don't going, yeah all the but, way and say it because you know who knows maybe I could put on a tape of a five star guy and it would look pretty similar to that. I remember looking back at. This kind of sounds asinine now, but I remember looking back at tape of Trevor Lawrence coming out of high school, and I he looked like he looked fine. He looked he looked like very similar to Spencer Rattler's tape, which I guess that could end up working out really well for Oklahoma if that's the case. 
Well, I mean, quarterbacks are different. I mean, quarterbacks are 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 much more vetted. They go to more camps. Like it's, I think it's easier to, um, like with Trevor Lawrence. I mean, there was the tape, and then whenever he went to these camps, they saw this dude who was six five, you know, was chiseled like a Greek god, ran a four five, and then and then also you know he would do workouts throwing the ball, and so I mean that's that's where mm-hmm. the Trevor Lawrence stuff came from. But I don't know. I mean, when I see defensive linemen in high school, I want to see them physically. Imp- imposing their will on other guys and i just didn't see that with reggie grimes and you know i that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that he doesn't have the capability of doing that once he gets into a strength and conditioning program but that's kind of part of my point is that ou is taking these guys that i i like i know alabama and georgia they get all they, they get a lot of credit for developing these guys but i mean when they get these guys i they don't need as much developing as as other dudes around the country and i i just especially now and and I and I want to go back sorry this is um I wanted to make this point when you're talking about Josh Eaton uh, especially now in this in this era of like 7 on 7 and if you like if you're a if you're a football player it it is pretty much a year-round sport now and especially with someone like Josh Eaton like if you do 7 on 7 a lot man if you're if you're not ready to play right away get into college and you're a four-star guy like what's your excuse yeah, if you can't play good man or you can't play good coverage or you're missing something, I don't get it. I, I I'm kind of with you. It's almost like, like you, you know, said you're, you're kind of like he's kind of here because of his size. Yeah, you know, but why is the light not coming on? The fact that the fact that Josh Eaton is not playing a lot of man to man coverage and you saw him a lot in zone in high school, that's a big red flag to me. Well, granted, and, that was a four and a half minute tape. I know, but I, I'm I'm thinking, so, man. If I had a if I had a six three, 190 pound corner who was getting power five offers from Oklahoma and Alabama, if I'm a high school head coach, that guy's playing straight man coverage every single play, with without even thinking about it. Well, it was uh, you know maybe it was soft man. You know potentially he was. I I don't know. I mean, there's there's only so much we know. We, you know we don't know what the their defense was things like that. But yeah, I mean I I think your point is well taken. Uh, there's a lot of those camps, a lot of opportunities to get better going one-on-one against some of the best athletes in the country, allegedly, you know, based on the camp. Yeah. So, yeah, you and should be ready to go. You should be better. You should yeah. be good. Everybody, yeah, I, I, think, I, I think I'm making kind of my thesis statement here and my thoughts on, on this matter pretty clear here. And I, and I know I'm not saying anything new. Um, and I don't want to come off as somebody who is, I, I will acknowledge the progress that has been made. There is more talent in this program than there was four years ago. I think that's clear. Um, having that been said, um, they're not recruiting well enough right now. They got to get better. And this, this 2020 class was not good enough. This is, this class is unacceptable if you're trying to win national championships. Well, the last thing I'll say about Grimes is a positive thing. I, I, I like his size. He's also a coach's son, which I think that can be a good thing. His dad played at Alabama, also played a little bit in the NFL. So he's got some good genes and, you know, with Jamar Kane in there, Reggie Grimes, the defensive end, the defensive lineman, you know, maybe, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I just, like, I, one of the things that, and I, I think I just, you know, the words just flashed in my mind right now on how to, how to articulate this, but one of the things that felt so helpless after the Peach Bowl, right, was once you, once you take away the number one draft pick in the NFL from this Oklahoma offense, that's what they look like against, against teams like LSU, and that's really concerning to me. I mean, quarterbacks have a huge. I mean, you're going to go. 
from Kyler Murray to Jalen Hurts, I mean, there's going to be a massive drop off, and uh, I'm, that doesn't really bother me that much. I, mean, I don't know, man. Is, what Auburn almost beat fine. LSU last year with Bo Nix. So, like, I, I mean, there's there's big problems well, going on. Well, it's because Auburn's you know, Auburn's defense is a lot better. I mean, they got a good defense. Plus, the game was, I think, in at Auburn, which probably helped a little bit, but. Yeah, I mean that they were one of the few teams that had a fantastic game plan against LSU, and uh, yeah, that boy, that game. Okay, so, so I guess yeah, but basically what I'm saying is, I mean, 2019 OU, I think we would all say objectively, you know, has top to bottom more talent than that 2015 team that went you know to the playoff and to the Orange Bowl, but man, it sure as heck didn't look like it. Sure didn't look like it. Didn't look like it, but also there could have just been a an all-time LSU team, man, and, and, and that, that's got in the way of that train. And that is that's that's part of the equation too. That LSU team is is absolutely uh, the the best team of this past decade, I think for sure. And I mean, they um, even fell behind uh, another pretty darn good Clemson team, who's been just doing nothing but winning titles or like getting there. And just even though their schedules haven't been great, they know how to win. Talk about winning cultures, winning programs, and they even fell behind to Clemson, and then were able to come back, and then ended up boat racing Clemson in the end. I mean, that, boy, that's crazy. And this, I mean, that the Clemson team is good. It's a really good Clemson team. They had the number one defense in the country coming in with a uh, with a hybrid safety linebacker that could be a top five pick in the NFL and was it was probably the best defensive player outside of Chase Young in all of college football last year. Uh, and Clemson also had arguably the most the most physically gifted quarterback we've maybe ever seen and two first round receivers to throw to and an offensive line that returned like five starters from the year previous. I mean that was that Clemson team was a monster. All right, so you're ready to move on to our next segment where we talk about these uh questions slash concerns, things like that. Oh yeah, this, this interesting. is this is where it gets fun. I, I like this stuff. Because this is where I get to this is where I get to just kind of spill out everything I've been thinking about the last month and a half basically all right so oklahoma kicks off its season the 2020 season they're playing missouri state in week one that's uh september the 5th we're like six and a half ish we'll say six plus months away from kick of that game so the question is right now what is your biggest concern with this oklahoma football team and let's see i'll go first and to me it's gonna sound like i'm a I don't know. Broken records is the right way to put it, but I, I'm concerned with the secondary. Uh, Parnell Motley's gone. He was very good all season long. I know Trey Brown is returning. Probably had his best year at Oklahoma last season, uh, and he's going to be asked to be just as good as Parnell Motley was. I think last year he needs to be. I mean, he's going to be a veteran. He needs to step up and be really good. But what happened to Jaden Davis? I mentioned him earlier. What happened to him in the Peach Bowl and at the end of last year? He barely played. I. I have so many questions like was he injured did the coaching staff lose faith in him was he in trouble I don't know I don't know why he didn't play because he was uh, part of the one of those corners that you could go back and forth Motley Brown I mean we had confidence in those guys so Davis looked like he'd be the obvious second corner with Motley gone but now I don't know what's going on at that position you know Trey Brown he's kind of solid what else you got projects back there who knows you got DTY He'll be back and healthy, hopefully. That should be okay. DTY then, is legitimately good, though. So, I mean, that's... Like, DTY is a is a guy that it would not shock me if he is a first-team All-Big 12 guy by the time he graduates. Okay, yeah. So, I, 
you got him, you got Patrick Fields coming back. I mean, they both need to keep getting better. I mean, they were asked to do a lot of stuff last year. They need some help back there, and we know this. It's the same thing we came up in March of 2019. Depth, depth back in the secondary. Brendan Radley Hiles, I'm not going to count on him for anything at this point. As far as I'm concerned, he doesn't have a starting job. And this entire offseason, he's got to fight to earn back trust and fight to earn back a spot as far as I'm concerned. I know Oklahoma lost a lot on the defensive line. That's my second biggest concern. Uh, but the secondary continues to be a problem at Oklahoma. It was much better in 2019 compared to previous years. But Oklahoma, you look, look back at it, didn't really face any good quarterbacks until Joe Burrow just lit them up like a Christmas tree in the Peach Bowl. And uh, Sam Ellinger I've, is a good quarterback. I mean, I know what you're trying to say, but but yeah, Sam Ellinger was the only the good way they attacked Oklahoma. It was idiotic. They just put him back there, and he was a statue and got sacked nine times. Ellinger I mean, just, and Purdy were the only two good quarterbacks they face in the regular season. Well, yeah, and Purdy had a great bit of success too against them, and uh, so yeah, just for the most part, Oklahoma did not see very many good quarterbacks at all in 2019. And I'll say it again, I'm not a fan of the scheme and how it looked like Oklahoma was incredibly ill-prepared for LSU. How much of that was personnel-based? How much is that, you know, is Alex Grinch and his staff really thinking that that was the best way to attack LSU and defend them? I don't know. And I said this a month and a half ago, you know, nothing was different in that playoff game. You know, and, and even an LSU receiver, I think it was Jamar Chase, you know, said after the game that Oklahoma was predictable and did everything they had seen on film. So I'm skeptical about the secondary and kind of the scheme. I'm curious to see what the scheme looks like in year two. So those are my uh, those are my biggest concerns. What about you? Okay, so the thing I'm most concerned about is, I mean, overall the defense, but kind of more on a, on a micro level, I, I want to focus on the defensive line because I, I, think, I think people are kind of dismissing this just a little too much right now and one of the things that kind of that that I'm not scared but maybe worried about is how on earth they're going to replace Neville Gallimore who I mean was was by far the most valuable player on this defense this year uh, I mean I don't I don't think that's that's even debatable at this point in time um and so I I'm I'm really I don't know I'd, I'd say Parnell Motley was right up there I mean you can I okay but I I would say like I don't know how much of the secondary's perceived success was was literally because of Neville Gallimore collapsing the pocket and everything. And I'm sorry, but if you're expecting Perry and Winfrey to come in and, and be able to at least like replicate that, man, you got another thing coming. It's just not going to happen. Um, and and I think who's who, who right now is is probably the presumptive starter at nose tackle, Jordan Kelly. Like I'm I'm. I'm really concerned about the defensive line at the start of the season when Jalen Redmond is your elder statesman there right now. He started three games last year, and he was productive when he played, and he may, he may take off, absolutely. But in those first five games of the season, you are probably going to be without Ronnie Perkins, which means that your most likely start starters on the defensive line are going to be Jordan Kelly, Jalen Redmond, and Marcus Stripling. Now, OU is playing is playing, I think, a really sneaky, underrated Tennessee team in Week 2 that is returning pretty much everybody off of, of a team that had a top-20 defense last year, and they return everyone on the offensive line, which it wasn't a great offensive line, but um, continuity and experience on the offensive line is the most important factor in college football. Um, I'm worried about that because I think the, the pressure 
and and the havoc that they were able to generate on the defensive line last year uh, was was invaluable. I thought their their defensive line last year was one of the five best units in all of college football. And I think over I don't, time, I don't I don't know if that's the case. I, I, Oklahoma just did not. The Big Twelve was down. I I think it was good, but I think I think we're overdoing it a little bit. And the defensive line was good, but they had time. To- trouble at times stopping the run okay well then uh, let me it, then let me move on then i'll, like I'll tell you let it, me it was good don't get me wrong i just don't know if i would put it like one of the top five like in the nation or something like that's that's probably kind of nuts i mean it was okay maybe that was crazy but there at times they were very very effective and impactful at times they were just at certain times when they needed to be they they weren't and sure uh, okay and then and then so still did they but did they achieve their goal at the end of the season though still with it did, I mean, yes, they made progress, and their defense was better. However, have you looked at their schedule this next year, especially the schedule in October? It's about as brutal as a Big 12 schedule can possibly get. They are playing yeah. They are playing the four other best teams in the Big 12 in back-to-back-to-back-to-back weeks. I, I, I don't... They're facing the four best quarterbacks in the Big 12, not named Spencer Rattler, in consecutive weeks, consecutive four straight weeks. And um, two of those games are going to be without Ronnie Perkins. So, you know, I it's it's possible that the defense makes improvements this year and, and actually is better, but it's possible that the results on the field do not speak to that. Because, one, they didn't have to face Spencer Sanders last year, and now they're going to have to. They're going to have to face Brock Purdy on the road, and they're going to have to face Charlie Brewer, Sam Ellinger, Brock Purdy, and Spencer Sanders in consecutive weeks. I mean, that's yeah, just that's why that's the, really the secondary is my biggest concern because they got to be able to stop the pass. And, and I would in say, in this day and age, you got to be able to cover. And yeah, yeah no, you no you're, you're totally right from your defensive line. That's what I mean. Defensive line. That's my second biggest concern. I'm not dismissing it. It's just I, I you got to be able to cover this. Because yeah, day I want to. And like I, I don't know, like if, if you're big. Like you need to be able to come in as a JUCO guy and be able to at least give get some snaps and you know people got to step up and I just I'm not I think there's more of a chance of the depth being better down in the defensive line than in the secondary because all year in the secondary in 2019 it, was, it just never it never came I mean they had, all this time Alex Grinch kept telling us yeah we don't have anybody I mean nobody stepped up whereas. The defensive line. We saw new guys step up here and there, every you know, throughout the year. So, right, well, I mean, who? maybe that group is just better. Who? What, what was the with the Big Twelve title game? Who's the like sophomore freshman? Isaiah, like I mean, Isaiah Thomas. I mean, I mean, no, I mean like, the the secondary. The there, there's no like there was no defensive backs that just like came sure. in and like had a good game. Sure, yeah, and that's fine, and and yeah, I mean, it's arguable to say that the secondary is a bigger concern. I would, you know, how I would counter that, I would say, uh, you know, Bill Connolly put out an article about a month ago, and it, it had, and he's the S and P guy. If you guys were wondering, uh, works for ESPN now, um, and it was, it was a, it was a returning production uh, thing where he just he he broke down percentage of returning production for every single team, and Bill Connolly says that returning production in the secondary is 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 the greatest like uh, determining factor in whether or not a defense is going to be good. OU has some of has. Percentage-wise, I I believe top 10 returning production in the secondary. Which is, Hmm. which predictive says that OU's defense in that regard will be pretty good. That doesn't, I mean, that's that's just stats telling you. But 
experience in the secondary is a good thing, and they they got a lot of experience in the secondary. Trey Brown, uh, both of the safeties. Trey Norwood is back. That guy started over you know fifteen games in his in his career. Um, I I, I think the secondary is going to be better this year. I'm of course I'm worried about the loss of of Parnell Motley. Um, but you know, I, I think Trey Norwood is, is probably going to step in and, and do an okay job. And I think Trey Brown is going to be better. And you know what? I, I want everyone to calm down about Buki. I, I I'm, and I understand where you're coming from. And I said, what he did in the peach bowl was one of the most bonehead, one of the most boneheaded, if not the least self-aware football play I, I had ever seen in the given, given that situation. But I mean, he was outside of Parnell Motley. He was the second most consistent secondary member for Oklahoma this season. He had a good season. He had a good season. He did. I maybe a lot of this is just because for the last two seasons, I you know, personally I think he's been playing out of position and he's not he's being absolutely able to be out into, of position. And and so maybe that's a big part of it too. And just kind of blind it like he's he's this guy that could be really good, but for whatever reason. I mean, we're not there, so heck, you know. Obviously, like, what are we? We're we're dumb. We don't we don't know anything. But like, for whatever reason, he's not being put into the best position to succeed. And he didn't help himself by making boneheaded plays on the field like that. It just makes me. Uh. But I, he's he's obviously a really good cover corner, really good cover corner. <laughs> I I don't know. I, clearly, nobody else could play nickel at the level to where. You know, Alex Grinch needed it in that defense. And that's an incredibly important position in his defense. And that's why Trey Norwood was there. And then, you know, I guess once he went down, they had already had Patrick Fields and DTY back there. I, don't, I mean, they're, uh, we're not a practice. We don't know. It's just, uh, it's, it'd be curious to see what happens whenever spring ball starts up, what the depth chart looks like for the spring game. Anywho, uh, okay. to put a bow on everything, I, I just. Watch out for the defense in those first five games of the year. I think that's kind of until they get someone like Ronnie Perkins back because I, I think that's a big deal. Ronnie Perkins has started every single game the last two years, and I mean it's it's going to be a big deal when he comes back. And not having him is, I it's the, the defense is weakened by not having him. And I and I I hope it doesn't you know I hope it doesn't play out with losses. But um, I don't know. Yeah, man. I guess you know it's really difficult for me right now and at the end of February to be that like into this to be like that concerned because so many things can happen in the next six months players could look good and fall camp and people could, and it could be just fine that's like, like yeah who knows if, if we get to like august and it's like so like oh my gosh like what's gonna happen the, it's official that he's gonna be out and it looked you know the coaches aren't like really talking to anybody up and, and it looks like oh my gosh it's gonna be a problem okay then that's when i would be like oh my god okay maybe the defensive line is a lot more of a, a glaring issue than the secondary but it's just it's really difficult for me right now to get that worked up about it at the end of February yeah I know then that's okay I guess I'm just my I'm concerned about the defensive line because just just gauging how other fans have talked and just looking at the the projections of who's maybe going to play there it seems like the strategy there for a lot of people literally is just hope is just hope that Perry and Winfrey is really good which history suggests that he's not going to be um, they're hoping that guys like Corey Roberson and, and Isaiah Thomas can take a step and be better. I, I mean, I don't hope's not a strategy. It's a it's it's a really bad strategy. Well, I mean, Laurent Stokes came from a different. Laurent Stokes and, is depth. And, is he's depth? I, he was I, fine. That's, he was fine. And you know, if there's more talent in a guy like Perry on Winfrey than Laurent Stokes, maybe then that turns into a guy that can give you 
30, 30 to 40 snaps a game. I think, I think we have learned maybe in the last two, the two iterations of the college football playoff that you can't be just fine at some positions. You got to be good uh, well, to awesome at every well, yeah, position. Yeah. If, if we're going to start talking about that, which we can talk about later, I mean, like, because that's what we're trying. I mean, we're we're trying to win a national title, right? Like, I mean, I don't. That's that's the stated goal of this program, is it not? It's well, sure it is. It's just it's kind of difficult now to to really get excited about that, considering how far away Oklahoma is. It's almost like wow, all those people that are really excited about the Big Twelve title all the years. Maybe those guys knew what they were talking about because you know what the heck is the point of national title whenever you show up and you get sixty laid on to you by the eventual national title? Yeah, but but. It is crazy, you know, how, you know, how a really good quarterback and a really efficient and explosive offense can kind of make you take a deep breath a little bit, which is why I kind of want to move on now uh, to the next thing, uh, which is more along the lines of, uh, you know, what needs to happen for OU to win a Big 12 championship, Lee, if, if like, if, you know, if these things happen. Um, and I'll, I'm going to start with this because it's just with the segue, but if Spencer Rattler is the real deal, Oklahoma's going to win the Big 12 again. Is it? Do you think it's as simple as that? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not concerned about the offense at all. Like, zero concern. I, I don't. I mean, the offensive line has almost everybody back. Creed Humphrey's going to have a huge chip on his shoulder. Uh, he probably didn't, I guess he didn't grade out very well this year, so he's going to probably be like, uh, screw that, I'm actually really good, and he's going to try even harder this year, and I think he's going to have a monster season. Uh, wide receivers, yeah, CeeDee Lamb being gone is not great, but they have a lot of depth, and those guys are great. Theo Weiss, Hazelwood, they're really really darn good. Pretty big swing and a miss on Trajan Bridges. Thought he'd be a lot better. Uh, he, he was humbled at the end of the year, so you know he'll have to work his way back up and, and show that he's a hard worker. I think he's a pretty good kid, though. But yeah, I mean, Spencer Rattler is just so much more talented than Jalen Hurts, and He'll have some hiccups because he's young and inexperienced, but you know that Lincoln Riley is going to put him in positions to succeed, and he's going to be able to make this Oklahoma offense look more like it did with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray because those are the kind of skill sets that he possesses more than what Jalen Hurts possesses. And, you know, basically the one thing is the offensive line needs needs depth, needs more depth. I mean, that was a problem in 2019. There wasn't enough depth on the offensive line. Uh, they need more guys to, to be able to so they can mix guys in and out, but for the most part, yeah, I that was the next segment. What are we least concerned about? And at, at the offense, no surprise. I think the skill positions are going to be, um, I mean, frankly, for for opposing teams, terrifying. Actually, um, even without C.D. Lamb, I, I just I people are are forgetting that they still have Braden Willis and Jeremiah Hall, and Austin Stogner is there. They could theoretically come out in like twenty one personnel and be just as effective. So. Not and everyone back on the offensive line, so that's why I want to come. It, it it does completely come down to Spencer Rattler. So, and and you're saying that you're not concerned at all. Um, they're not even a little bit. There nothing concerns you maybe about like some like some freshman mistakes, like in a big game. He you know he, he makes a big mistake or something like that. It doesn't. Or or are you kind of one of the ones like yeah yeah I, yeah I can't analyze that stuff until it actually happens in the moment. Or, because like what I've been trying to think, Lee. Wait, is, what did you? Sorry. Oh, did you ask me a question? Sorry, what? No, I was saying like, are, are you the type of person who is more like, are 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 you concerned at all about freshman mistakes? The fact that he's a freshman and he's never, he's never, uh, you know, consistently played high level college football. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess. I, I'm I'm just more concerned about him. 
and this is probably anybody because they're, when they're young, just maybe not knowing really what it takes to prepare the right way and be ready for a game because he hasn't done it for very long and hasn't done it at this level. And that just kind of comes with experience. Sometimes you just can't get things. Uh, you, you can't learn that unless you do it over and over and over again, which you can't expect the guy to know what he's supposed to do. I guess maybe Jalen Hurts, the way he prepared, hopefully maybe that showed Spencer Rattler or something. But the way Jalen Hurts prepares for a game is going to be so much different, I think, than the way Spencer Rattler will, be, will prepare for a game because what they're going to ask Spencer Rattler to do is so much different than what they asked Jalen Hurts to do last year as far as what the offense will, will consist of. And so, so yeah, like kind of yeah. what I've been thinking about, what is what's what's the worst type of season that Spencer Rattler could have and OU still win the Big 12 title? Like and and I, and I want I want to compare it to to like past seasons of different players. So like I've I've thought to myself um I think baseline like for instance, if Spencer Rattler is as good as Baker Mayfield was in his first season with OU in 2015, I think OU is likely going to go back to the college football playoff. But I also started thinking to myself, well, I mean, Baker Mayfield was really like great that season. Was like one of the better seasons for an OU quarterback in like in history, and how realistic is it that Spencer Rattler is going to be that good right away? Probably not very realistic considering sure it's similar to where Rattler and Baker will have had a year in the program under their belt going into their first year starting, but Baker also had some other college starts under his belt at Texas Tech, which had to have helped a little bit just being oh, around yeah. it. Yeah. So, uh, but I mean, you know, Spencer Rattler has more talent than Baker Mayfield. Maybe even though he, Baker though? had more experience. Does he? Well, we don't know that. I mean, he's got a really good arm. Uh, he's probably I mean, Baker little, was probably, the number one pick fa- in the NFL draft. Probably faster. Well, I mean, I'm talking like recruiting wise. I mean, Baker was a nobody. I mean, like I. Rattler's probably got a little more speed, probably more a little more athletic. Actually, definitely probably a little more athletic than Baker. Uh, I mean, I guess we'll get a better look at him out there on the field. But I mean, in his small, uh, you know, small. That's what I'm trying to say. Like a couple snaps we saw. I mean, he looks pretty fluid out there. Pretty good athlete. Yeah, so, but I'm so where. But when I hear people talk about Spencer Rattler, I, I mean, he's the second coming. He's going to be great, and I, he's going to be great. I think he's going to be really good, but. I think when you judge it, like there's got to be a baseline of success that would be realistic, right? And so I think if you look at a true freshman coming in, um, and like his first season as a full starter, what's the best like possible scenario that can happen realistically? Well, Tua Tonga Viola two years ago probably had the best season ever for a redshirt freshman. I think that's like that's the high end of what it possibly could look like. And Alabama couldn't even win a national title that year. Wait. Oh, okay. Sorry, I was thinking you were talking about the when he came in and won him a title and played a half of football. I, no, I'm, I'm no, yeah, I'm, I'm talking about his full season where he was the Heisman Trophy winner until he wasn't. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Let's see. So I, I'm they, so, uh, so when I when I try to talk myself in to Spencer Rattler being like awesome from the get go, I use that as 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 backup in my head. Like, oh, hey, Tua did it, and this OU team, I think in terms of like recruiting and stuff like that is probably just as talented as that Alabama team theoretically speaking so this is this is interesting that that we've gotten to this point in this podcast cuz I didn't know if we'd ever get there didn't but honestly like I 
I don't think Oklahoma's going to win the national title next year. Oh, so no, I don't even, either. I don't I'm either. Not even I'm just... think, like, I don't even think about, like, you're saying Tua, oh, but he couldn't win the national I was like, if he's as good as Tua, like, great. Like, who? What, anything that happens after that. Oh, just... I, I'm sorry. I'm saying I, I should have I prefaced this. If OU wants to win a national title, Spencer Rattler has to be that good this year. Oh, well, well yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because the defense isn't going to be where it needs to be. Yeah, I mean, and just the players aren't there. Yeah, I'm like, trying to set expectations. For the first all time, really, man. I, uh, I'm trying to set expectations as of this offense is absolutely going to have a much higher ceiling than the 2019 offense did. But do not be surprised if at times they bog down and they show a lot of glitches. And it's and it's going to be because Spencer well, Rattler is not experienced. And, like yeah, I, like, I, none of us are thinking that he's going to play like Tua. I don't think. No way. I, I just, if he's that good, that's man, that's crazy. I just I don't think he's gonna be that good. That's kind of where we are. I mean, that's kind of where we are. Really, I've we've had I've, we've not, had we've had three consecutive seasons now where the where the the all time college football passing efficiency record in a single season has been broken. Three straight seasons now. Like I mean, I mean, I just I haven't even thought that. That's even a possible. I mean, I, I mean, anything's possible. I mean, again, he's a five-star, I'm, really good player. But I, that's. Just- I'm trying to. I, I'm trying to basically highlight where the program is right now. I'm saying that Oklahoma needs needs Spencer Rattler. Like, it, it, if if they want to get to what their program has stated as the ultimate goal of this program, Spencer Rattler is going to have to be as good as the best redshirt freshman season in the history of college football. I don't say that in the sense that it's going to happen. I just, I just want to set expectations for the fans of this year. That's okay, kind of yeah. the hill. That's the hill that, that OU is climbing up right now. Well, yeah, he's got to be that good, but it's not going to matter because Oklahoma's defense isn't going to be as good as Alabama's defenses were back then. So that's not going to matter. Yeah. So that's yeah. just like, so, but like, yeah, I, I, if anyone out there is thinking that, I I don't know. I mean, it's, it's weird that just that peach bowl and that season, and, you know, I, you said like taking a couple steps back has helped you kind of, get more clear and yeah, the offense will be better and that'll change sure but it, more than ever it's starting to really show to me that it really is a, a talent and player problem and uh, it's just you, it's like a, a different kind of game when you watch Clemson and LSU play and it's just uh, I think see, on so offense like on offense oh you can compete with those guys all day long all day long well, yeah well, nobody's disputing that though that's what's so annoying about it oh man you know had all these years to figure out the defense and they they can't they can't figure it out you know what i was just thinking about the other day and I, i'm i'm so sorry to bring this up and and even just to to kind of switch it up so quickly here that ou offense man that was on the field in the rose bowl had the number one draft pick in the nfl on it had marquise brown and mark andrews who are the two outside of Lamar Jackson are the two best offensive players for the Baltimore Ravens. It had Orlando Brown, who is a pro bowler. Um, I'd say Mark Ingram's probably up there, but it's all based on the offense though. That's, I mean, the whole offense, like a I machine. Just, that, that OU offense had, I mean, maybe the, maybe the most talented OU offense of all time. That was, it sucks. It sucks. They couldn't. Dude, I mean, and that's not even mentioning C.D. Lamb, who is who is likely about to be a top ten pick, and and he was he was not just some scrub freshman on that team. He was no, he wasn't. He was good. And we uh, threw 
uh, threw a touchdown. He threw a touchdown or two point. Yeah, touchdown. Threw a touchdown yeah. pass in that game, that's and that's. Uh, I don't know, man. That's that's a really tough pill to swallow, and I I I I just hate that that is a thing so much. Well, it just goes back to what I, either you brought it up or I brought it up at some point in our last podcast, I think, or whenever we were talking, to, you know, finally talking about the LSU game. It's it's just how frustrating it was watching LSU with all this talent and all this incredible offensive efficiency and dominance, and it just worked swimmingly for them, and they're not going to be looking back. Their fans will be looking back like, man, that team had the number one overall pick. They had two first-round receivers. They had the, No, like they look back. Yeah, remember that team? They were awesome, and they kicked ass. <laughs> Like there's none of this crap, and it seems like with Oklahoma, and you know maybe other programs they have that. You know we we follow Oklahoma closer than anything else, so obviously we have the bias. But it seems like that's a lot. You know, look back at 2008. That team had Sam Bradford, number one overall pick, and Demarco Murray, who didn't play in the title game, and had a bunch of NFL offensive linemen, and uh, the receivers weren't really incredibly great. But even on defense, there are some defensive players. You know, really good oh, defensive talent on that team. Oh yeah, that that defense was good. That was a good defense. So and, you look um, back in another another era, Oklahoma was a, was not able to win a national title. So that's that was yes. bad luck. That that 2008 season was absurd. I, I that season, put, I, I would say the top four teams in the country that year go up and down. I feel like take away 2013 Florida State and then this year's LSU. I think the top four teams in 2008 across the board would have won titles this entire decade. Every single one of them, every year. I what a what a terrible terrible year for Bob Stoops to have his best team ever at Oklahoma. It was just terrible luck. All right, I know you wanted to talk about we've already kind of talked about it a little bit in a roundabout way, but is it realistic to expect Oklahoma to win a national championship whether it be next year, or the year after that? I'm thinking like how about the next 4 years cuz that's like a, you know, a recruiting cycle or whatever, like I don't know what's the best way to describe it. I, and I don't know. I mean, four or five years is quite a bit of years, but I think in the next two years, is it realistic? Probably not. It's as much as I don't want to say. I mean, you're going to have Spencer. Spencer Rattler ends up being really good. You'll always have a shot with a, an elite-type quarterback. Without yet, transcendent quarterback play, is it realistic in the next four or five years? Probably not. No. Okay. That's a, that's a good way to make it real short and sweet. I think, I, I think they are going to have a window next season if the development of Spencer Rattler and his receivers is is progressing, because they will, because they mean will like the twenty twenty one season. Yes, because they would have a very experienced defense, and of they just had, they'd have a lot of experience. And didn't the twenty twenty offensive lineman class for Oklahoma actually supposed to be pretty good? Didn't Bill Biedenbo get some yes, good guys in there? For as for as much as I poo pooed this last recruiting class, it's the the offensive line class is like a monster is. Is, is insanely good. All right, let's move on to a couple of West of Everest Facebook page questions and topics from a couple of our loyal listeners that seemingly post quite a bit, and we appreciate you all for sticking with us and, and waiting us out. First off, from Justin, he wants us to talk about Charleston Rambo. Justin says, can Rambo really become a primary threat that defenses need to plan around? After a pretty hot start to the season where he broke 100 yards in three of the first four games and had four of his five touchdowns, Rambo struggled to break even 50 receiving yards a game in six of the next 10 games and only had one touchdown. With a receiver like CeeDee Lamb taking most of the attention from defenses, it seems like Rambo should have had some room to do damage. Just curious about what your thoughts are. And 
good question. Uh, it, I think it's not all on Rambo in 2019. A lot of that can be put on Jalen Hurts. Uh, he, he wasn't particularly great at distributing the football. Uh, it's, at times he was, I think, particularly the second half of Baylor. He actually did a pretty good job of distributing the football around. But for the most part, it was a one read. CeeDee Lamb was the guy. I don't know if – I mean, Charles Rambo will certainly have a better chance this upcoming year with a, a quarterback that's able to distribute the football better. The problem is is that he's going to have some other you know, other mouths to feed. Yeah, he will be the, the veteran guy on the team. I mean, that's going to probably help him a little bit. But uh, honestly, I I don't think he's a he's, – you know, he's a deep threat. He's really fast. We all kind of hoped he would be kind of like a Marquise Brown type player in 2019 to compliment CeeDee Lamb, just like Marquise complimented CeeDee Lamb in, in 2018. He's just he's just not there, I guess. And can he become a primary threat that defenses need to plan around? I, if I had to guess, I'd say no. Hey, man, I would say think? I would say based off of who was distributing the football in 2019, Rambo had himself a pretty darn good season. Um, and... I, I liked what I saw from Charleston Rambo this year. I, I, I think I think if, if he can if he can develop some sort of rapport or, or, or chemistry with Spencer Rattler, then yeah, I think he can turn into a pretty formidable deep threat. There I there are numerous occasions where Charleston Rambo had steps deep downfield on defensive backs and Jalen Hurts was not able to deliver the ball to him. Uh, presumably that won't be an issue with, with Spencer Rattler, or at least we hope so. Um no, I, I think I think Rambo is gonna be going to be on the field for virtually every single play next season. He's going to have a good year. I'm excited to watch him. 43 catches, 743 and 5 touchdowns. That's, but, really, uh, that's a good season in a in a like a complete running offense when you have a top 10 NFL wide receiver on the other end. Yeah, but I mean as Justin pointed out, I mean the last 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 games he and that, I mean that that really directly directly coincides with defenses figuring Jalen Hurts out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I had to guess right now, I, you know, I, it, you know, Lincoln Riley seems to be pretty darn loyal to his guys. So, I mean, he's got obviously going to have a chance to, to emerge as that number one player. But it's just, I, I want to see a lot more of Hazelwood and Weiss, man. And you know, maybe Rambo just he's been in the program longer, and he'll he'll be a little further ahead, and that'll help him. And then he will turn into one of those guys. And I'll be wrong, but uh, as of right now, I. As a, a you know, with teams game planning against them and like really trying to think, oh, gotta take this guy away. It's it's kind of hard for me to see that, but yeah, maybe I'm a little short sighted when it comes to Charleston Rambo. I don't know. We we don't know. We don't know. I mean, things can change a lot. I we think I think we're assuming that this offense is going to be much more wide open and much more vertical. And I mean, that's that's much more of of Charleston Rambo's comfort zone. I think. All right. Also, we have a question from Sydney. Sydney says, what do you guys think about the XFL? Do you think it's going to last? What rules do you think will eventually end up in college or the NFL? I like the way they do kickoffs, and I think it would be awesome if that became the norm. Uh, so we briefly touched on the XFL 90 minutes ago. Uh, so quite a bit of a, a long podcast. I, let's see. What's, what do you, I think it's, you know, honestly, this sounds like a cop-out. I don't really know what to think about the XFL. I I haven't found myself thinking, like, I got to sit down and I got to watch this game. And I think that's a problem. Because when you think about college football, obviously, we're always wanting to watch every OU game. But there's even other college football games every single Saturday where if the slate's good, like, I want to sit down. I want to see what happens in this game. Obviously, when it comes to the NFL, uh, I 
I love the NFL. I, you know, you get invested in the NFL. Um, I don't know if, you know, how much red zone has to do with that and fantasy sports, uh, probably a lot because you can watch a lot of the games and you can follow that stuff. Um, it's a problem that nobody really has their favorite team. Uh, I don't really have a favorite team in this league. Um, so I, do I think it will last? I think it's going to, I think it'll definitely last through the full season. I, I, I think Vince McMahon wouldn't want to put this up if it, he didn't think it could get through one year. And I honestly think it, it'll probably get through two years, but I think it all determine on how the TV ratings, uh, and I guess attendance is probably a big deal too. I know attendance is really good in week three, but that probably is because St. Louis played its first home game and St. Louis fans are just itching for some pro football because uh, you know, all those guys just hate that the Rams got taken away from them. But the TV ratings have declined every single week. Uh, the question is, are they going to be get to the point where they're lower than like college basketball ratings? Are they going to be lower than like NBA ratings? And I haven't done the research yet to look at that, how they compare yet. I think XFL is still doing a little bit better than some of that. I know that the game Saturday, one of the XFL games, did better than that KU-Baylor game. So, I mean, it's, if it's beating college basketball, I mean, that's something. But um, but will it I'll, beat I'll March so, Madness coming up here? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, no, that's going to be the big, like... That's a tough thing, yeah. I mean, that's going to be... Those are going to be some tough weekends for the X. It's almost like the XFL needs to move those games to, like, Thursday. <laughs> like, Wednesday and Thursday. Because, yeah, I mean, people are going to be watching well, I mean, college basketball. You can't, do, you can't do it Thursday because that's when the tournament starts. Oh, yeah. So, That's right. so I, I you know, like the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I think it's very obvious that this whole XFL thing has been much better. Uh, it, it's been much better executed than, than the other one was. I, I've already forgotten what it was called. Um, the AAF. I, Why the AAF. Forget what, it was called the AAF. I must've been the biggest AAF fan. I don't know, but I, I, I remember saying on this podcast that that thing would never last and it was a joke and I don't even think they finished <laughs> the season. So uh, this, I, I don't think the XFL is a joke. They've, they very obviously have put a lot of thought into it, and it's just, it's just much more competently executed. Having that been said, I personally have zero interest in it. It, it does not move the needle for me whatsoever. If you like it, though, more power to you. I, I, like, I, don't, I don't want it to fail. If people want to enjoy it in the offseason, more power to you. That's great. Um, are there things that could make me watch it? Yeah, probably. Um, if Johnny Manziel played in it, I'd watch it for sure. Yeah, but um, they tried that with the AAF, and then he got hurt immediately. I mean, Johnny Manziel's just not, he's not in any physical shape. Yeah, but I, I think so the XFL is going to run into, uh, is, is going to run into this problem. The fact that the guys playing just are not the height of the sport. And, and I don't, and when, I, I think if you're going to ask somebody to to watch on TV stuff uh, from people that it, that's not at the height of the sport that they're watching, they're, you're going to have to come for something else. And with college sports, it's we we don't like college sports because of uh, we, we like college sports because of the pageantry and the way that it makes us feel. Um, I, I'm not sure if the XFL really does that yet, but it could. I don't know. Um, well, college sports has the inherent benefit of everybody or not everybody, but a lot of people went to a college or they're from a place that has had a college established for the last 100 years, and therefore that's why there's interest, even though it seems like, ah, whatever, it's college basketball on a Saturday, who cares? I mean, sure. there's going to be inherent interest, whereas these XFL teams have been uh, in existence for five minutes. I mean, that's always the problem with the startup league. 
But I mean, and, and, and just other stuff like the, the kickoff rule, I do like it. It's good. I mean, I think that's a, it's a really clever way to reinvent the kickoff. Um, will, is the NFL going to do it or college football? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Um, yeah, the kickoff rule is fine. I think it's being blown out of proportion a lot. I mean, you see a lot of people think, "Oh, I love it. It's great. It's it's fine." I mean, it, it's it's different. I think it's it's people are more just reacting to it being different than the original kickoff rule. But it's definitely a nice middle of the road to keep kickoffs in the game. But I guess in theory, make them safer. Yeah. So I yeah, think, that's fine. I think it's better. I I I think that way is is better than probably what they're doing right now. I think it is. Um, do I think the league will last? Yeah, I think it probably will for a while. And that's because it sounds like there's a pretty solid business model behind it. I think they have a plan. They have a lot of smart people behind the scenes. So yeah, I think it's going to last for a while. And I know you were mentioning TV ratings, and, and I haven't seen them from this past week, but I have seen the TV ratings like in the um, in the markets where there actually are teams. I think across the board, they are beating the NBA and the NHL across the board in those markets. So what does that mean? I'm not really sure. Um, but I do, I do know the stuff like on ABC and Fox is getting like two or 3 million viewers, isn't it around there? So I'm looking at an article from, from week three. And so on Saturday, um, Stoops, team, Dallas played Seattle and that averaged a 1.3 rating, which was about 2.05 million viewers. And that was down from uh, week two, uh, and week two, it was 2.3 million viewers. And I suppose, but my, like, there's no way that 11 a.m., you know, 11 a.m. Big Ten games on ABC are getting 2 million viewers. So that's why I'm thinking maybe there is a little bit of viability here. Right, right. And, you know, the at some point, the ratings need to plateau, and they, they got to stop going down, though, because they've gone down every right. single week. You are right. Yeah. So, like, they've got, they've got to kind of set at, you know, 2 million or heck, even like 1.7, or maybe even like 1.5. It's, it can't just keep going to where you're now you're under a million. Because I think on Sunday, like the FS1 game was down to only a million viewers, and that was DC versus LA. Oh yeah, you know, and that's, okay. And that's and Cardell so that's, Jones, who's been so getting a lot of pub. You're right. So that's probably what they are worried about. They're worried about people like me who did who did tune in to watch about three quarters of a game. And honestly, I just wasn't interested after three quarters. I just didn't think the product was great. And so I think they're hoping that most people are not like me. This article I'm reading from sportsmediawatch.com, it says, by comparison, through, uh, through three games during the AAF season, the now defunct Alliance of American Football, they averaged 515,000 and 491,000. So the XFL at least is doing a lot better than the AAF was doing through three weeks. So that makes it to where there's certainly a lot more staying power compared to the the AAF, which is not that surprising. But uh, once you get down into sub-million, you're, yeah. you're in trouble. There's some problems there for sure. I, football is my favorite sport. I love football. And this time of the year is a, is a dead period. I, I don't... I don't really care about college basketball unless it's March Madness for the most part. Um, and, you know, a lot of there's a lot of things competing for my eyes right now. And there's not, you know, there's not a whole lot of options. And the fact that the XFL came in and I was after three quarters, I had pretty much seen all I needed to see. That's that's pro- that's that's a problem for them. I think as the teams play more games, they'll get better. The offenses will get more comfortable. That's a problem with, you know, when these leagues start. The defenses are ahead of the offenses. 
and quarterback play is the the problem. I mean, you got to have good quarterback play, and man, it's it's difficult for NFL the NFL to have. Let's see, what is there thirty teams, thirty two, whatever it is in the NFL, and they only have two quarterbacks now. I mean, that's that's what sixty quarterbacks, and how many NFL teams have just garbage backups? Yeah, you know, like now now you got to throw in you know eight more teams and guys that couldn't. I guess like this what. Uh, I can't remember the the Houston quarterback that I guess played for the Colts. Like the Colts cut him, like PJ, whatever. I you know I, I guess you're not watching. Uh, PJ Walker, he's like the guy that's playing really well. Yeah, oh, he's the guy from watch. Temple. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, had some really good games. He's got eleven touchdowns, only one pick. And he's fun to watch. I mean, relative to the competition, I. He, but you know, he's a guy that didn't make it in the NFL and. Uh, I was actually watching their game, though, the other day on Saturday, and it was kind of a fun game. It was Houston versus Tampa, and there was some offense. There was, you know, it kind of got going, got going, but, you know, how much of that was just me? I was kind of bored. I had nothing else to do, and that's why I enjoyed it. Or how much of that was the product was better three weeks in? I don't know. Uh, I do like the the fact that there's no kicking extra points. I like how they got to go for one, two, or three. I think that's awesome, and I don't know why you'd ever go for one. I saw Warren Sharp, analytical guys, and he always makes fun of these coaches that go for one. Just go for two. Just move the ball back three more yards and go for two. I mean, you, if you can't get five yards, you know why even go for two? Because you go for one, and like pe- people are bad at getting one point. Just go for two. And so I, I do kind of like that strategy you throw in that depending on what the score is, it, it, you could get nine points if you execute a touchdown and then a three-point play. So. I do kind of like that idea, but that that's not going to be a thing that the NFL adopts. Obviously, that's just kind of more for this startup league. So I I do like the the uh, extra point rule, and not surprisingly, the whole double pass thing is not been a thing. Like, cause, yeah, it's not a big deal because it has to be behind the line of scrimmage. So yeah. I remember some people like being like really excited about that going in. Like, I don't know if they read the rule because yeah, you have to complete the forward pass behind the line of scrimmage, and then you can throw it again. You can't just like throw it 11 yards down the field, catch it, and then, oh, yeah, hey, go deep again. I was say, yeah, <laughs> to a defense, it probably looks exactly like a double pass. I mean, just yeah, because, I mean, they can't see if it's going forward. So, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think, just to put a bow on it, I think the XFL is very clearly a better product than the AAF. Um, but I'm still not particularly interested in it. Um, but, I mean, if, if other people are, that's great. Go for it. I, I don't... It's not. It's certainly not a league that I am rooting to fail. I, I don't want it. I, I think. I, th- I think going forward, the XFL, the way that it actually is going to get eyes, is they need to start prying college players who aren't eligible for the NFL yet, and then and then maybe it can start getting really interesting. Yeah, but in order to do that, they need to have a lot of money, because I don't know why college guys would want to go, go play for that. You know, I was thinking the other day, and this is not going to happen. Obviously, there's no reason for this guy to even do it. But you know what? would be perfect for the XFL right now. A guy like <laughs> this, sound dumb. this might sound dumb, but I, I, you might find it interesting. A guy like, say, Jalen Hurts playing in the XFL, getting more reps. We like, almost hey. certainly might see him in the XFL. <laughs> he ain't going to play but quarterback I mean, in the NFL. I mean, I, you know, yeah, some of these, these players that are going to go through the combine, I mean, granted, like, why would they play in the XFL? They're going to go through the combine. They're going to be told to do that because it's it's uh, official NFL stuff of course it makes no sense to go out there and play in the XFL to, to try to prove to an NFL team that hey hey draft me come April but that's another th- interesting thing too is like yeah these college players instead of going through the combine 
What if these college players want to go ahead and make a couple, uh, you know, a couple, couple grand or whatever it is, you know, you play and, and you know, get some more reps in, in the in the spring in February and March instead of going to the combine. I mean, yeah, would... because they're going to risk getting injured. But, you know, you know, that would be another best case scenario for the XFL. I don't know. But I mean, the... like if you're if you're a college kid and I guess I, what are the salaries right now? I suppose I don't really know how much they're getting paid. It's but like, like I think the I think the minimum or like maybe the average is something like fifty to sixty grand or something okay. like that. But the, so, yeah. I think that's in terms of just like however many months. I don't, I don't think sure. you know it's like sure. And of course yeah. that's going to need to go up. But I, I'm just I'm just throwing a name out there. Like if you're Kayvon Thibodeau, you know the defensive end for Oregon, who was just a freshman this past season. And if the XFL offers you a hundred grand for a season to come, like why wouldn't you do that? You can you won't have to go to school. You can spend all of your free time training. You're going to have professional coaches like coaching you and training you and you're gonna you're gonna be playing against better competition and you're gonna get paid for it legally hmm. i mean like i i know the reasons why you wouldn't because you wouldn't be playing in front of anybody and it would be nowhere near as exciting as college football but i don't know i mean the money certainly could speak to different people differently sure but yeah i mean it's just it'd be tough you know certain players that hey you you could get upwards you know you could get 50 to 60 grand or whatever i mean Whenever, hey, or you could be working out, and then maybe you get drafted. You know, and then you get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, there's no reason to risk being injured. But you know, there could be some college guys where that would make sense. But you're risking know. getting injured playing college football, are you not? And you're. I'm talking about oh, like in the the break though between your season's over in the fall and then yeah, the combine sure. and the draft. I mean, sure. Yeah. No, I, I I'm more I'm more time. talking about like eventually is some five star you know prospect going to say you know yeah i'm going to just i'm going to take the take the money and go play in the XFL for 3 years instead and then get drafted i don't know i mean someone might do that they can i mean if the x or if the nfl would change their rule of you know how many years you have to be in college to get drafted and you know maybe it would like oh if you play a year professionally or something then you're eligible to get drafted in the nfl they then yeah they will that- never do that no, of course they not. They are more they, than happy with using... footballs are minor leagues. It's their minor leagues, and they're more than happy for it to be their minor leagues. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we've gone really long on this podcast. I don't think we have time to talk about anything else, and honestly, I'm a bit spent. So, uh, you have any parting shots? No, not really. All right, well, that does it for us today. Nip high football uh, rules. Yeah. I don't think we anticipate doing a show next week. Uh, you know, once spring ball gets going... I think that'll give us a better idea of the upcoming podcast schedule. So thanks for joining us on another edition of West of Everest. As always, we appreciate your support. For Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.